is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Chris Gunty, Associate Publisher and Editor of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Review Radio, we will discuss living a good life with philosophers and authors Megan Sullivan and Paul Blaschko, who recently released their book, The Good Life Method, reasoning through the big questions of happiness, faith, and meaning. Megan Sullivan is the Wilsey Family College Chair in Philosophy at the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. She is the director of the God and the Good Life program and director of the Notre Dame Institute for Advanced Study. Paul Blaschko is an assistant teaching professor in philosophy at the University of Notre Dame and heads up curriculum design for the God and the Good Life program. Welcome to the show, professors. We're glad to be here. Thank you so much. So your book, The Good Life Method, grew out of the God and the Good Life undergrad course. What makes that popular for students? Catholic universities have required students to study philosophy ever since we've had a general education curriculum. I mean, in the 1950s at Notre Dame, I think students had to take six philosophy and six theology courses. And the reason we have done this is not because we think absolutely everyone should be a philosophy major, though probably Paul and I do believe that in part of our souls. But because one of the things that Catholic universities want to give young people is a sense of what's really valuable in their lives and how to situate those lives in ideas that have been important to other humans thinking about these same questions for 2000 years. One reason why I think our students love the God in the Good Life course is it's how many of them fulfill their intro to philosophy requirement, but rather than pitching the class as preparing them to become philosophy majors or learning the ideas of dead people, We have very much focused the class around this idea that we are going to teach students philosophical techniques that are going to be practically indispensable for them trying to figure out what their lives mean and how they're going to become happy, flourishing adults. And and we didn't make that up. It's Aristotle. I mean, this is the same thing Aristotle promises to his students in the Lyceum and you get to the second chapter of the Nicomachean Ethics. And one of the things that I think really enlivens and energizes our students is this idea that that they have permission to think and wonder about these questions from the very first day of college and that learning to live well is something that you can still learn in college. Yeah, one, one of the assignments, actually the big assignment that we give our students in the class is actually called uh, the apology assignment. Uh, and it's a classic philosophical apology where we're asking students to give us their answers to the big questions that we're asking in the course. So, uh, you know, what do you owe to other people or sort of what, what are your moral or ethical obligations? How should you figure out what to believe? I mean, there's so much information out there and so much disagreement. How do you sort through it? Uh, should you practice a religion and what, if anything, makes life meaningful? Um, so, you know, we're, we're asking them to write apologies uh, in the style of like Augustine's confessions, uh, where they're telling a story about their life 
Uh, and then they're they're you know defending their particular answer with philosophical argument. So I think you know one one thing that this does is puts the the class sort of squarely focused on them and their life, not not in a way that you know sort of makes it relative to their experience or like subjective to their experience or something like that, but rather just encourages them to connect up their experience and the way that they've been thinking about these questions or the way they want to start thinking about these questions uh, with, you know, some of the great thinkers in the philosophical tradition and the history of philosophy. Yeah, I think these days we look around a lot on social media and there aren't a lot of great thinkers out there, are there? <laughs> so have you been able to track the students after they've gotten out of college and see how this works for them in real life? One of the cool things about the class, uh, and it's sort of just you know, built into the structure of, of how we teach it is we've got about 50 undergraduates who serve as dialogue leaders every semester. Uh, so once a week, they'll lead uh, an hour long dialogue with their peers, with students who are in the class. And this program, you know, it, it's become a, a cool sort of community unto itself. Uh, these students are, are where we go when we've got questions about, you know, how the students are thinking in the course or how they're feeling. Uh, and really like what what strikes them as most interesting as we were writing the book you know we assembled like a small team of these dialogue fellows and literally just had them read every chapter and then we'd go back and forth with them and and uh you know just just engage in this really great philosophical dialogue so having them as a community is, has been really cool and it has been um really rewarding you know we've got to see many of these students walk through all four years of their experience here at notre dame and beyond i, I have a student who I'm still working with uh, on philosophy and on, on designing curriculum like God and the Good Life at other universities. Um, so, you know, we certainly know, uh, you know how it's impacted the students that we've stayed close to there. Um, and we've, we've got some anecdotal evidence, too, from folks around campus about how other students are experiencing the course. I guess one of, one of my favorite stories that I'll share really briefly is uh, during the pandemic, during the sort of first kind of stages of the pandemic where students for a couple of weeks here at Notre Dame had to had to lock down and stay in their dorms. Uh, we heard from one of the rectors that uh, some of the students in the class were actually leading their dorm mates who were not in the class uh, in some of the major assignments in God in the Good Life. So they were having them read philosophy and write philosophical apologies. And then they were dialoguing about it. And I, you know, I, I like to imagine they were having these sort of Socratic dialogues and, you know, arguing about truth and virtue. So, you know, stories like that as they filter back to us and seeing the way that it's impacted, um, you know, our fellows and, and honestly, the alumni uh, here at Notre Dame. These are all just like indicators that, that, to my mind, you know, that people desire, want to build this kind of philosophical community and that, you know, it's possible. It's something that we can do uh, if we're intentional about it. You know, a lot of times people look at happiness from a psychological perspective. Uh, Megan, you and Paul and, and your colleagues look at it from a philosophical perspective. What's the difference? The way I think about it is philosophy and psychology are quite complementary ways of looking at what it is to be a person. Psychologists can help us realize we have biases that we're not paying close enough attention to, and they can ask really interesting questions about when certain personality traits come online, say for little kids, or when they start to fade as we age and change. Those are all questions that we get the answers to by making observations and performing experiments. But then we face this question of what do we want to do with this self-knowledge? And that's a philosophical question, and it has been since ancient Greece. One of the things that's really interesting and wonderful about being a human being 
is we have this capacity for self-reflection. We can realize that our emotions are working a certain way. And we can realize that we have a certain tendency to see the world in a certain way. But then we can take a step back and make a decision about whether we want to see the world that way or how we want to respond to our emotions or whether or not, whether or not we want to work on developing different ways of seeing the world. And we need philosophical arguments and philosophical context and philosophical wisdom to help us make those decisions about the kind of people that we're aspiring to be and what our goals are. And so philosophy can do that goal building work and give us rational arguments and give us a target to aim at. And psychology can give us the capacity to understand where we currently are and what our starting points are. And combined, you know, we're very much of the mindset that leading a really good life requires that kind of study and intellectual work. Yeah, you talk about that aspirational stuff. I have a t-shirt that says, I aspire to be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> Incredibly yeah. kind, always at home. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, at the beginning of the new year, a lot of people make resolutions or they make plans to get better organized, exercise more, change their diet, etc. cetera. Uh, Paul, how does, asking questions about living a good life overall differ from reading practical books about decluttering or losing weight or those kinds of things. Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak from my own experience here. I am a, a habitual goal maker. I love making New Year's resolutions every year. I love reading these practical psychology books that, that help us understand, you know, like, like how do you make habits stick and that sort of thing. One thing I'll say though, and this really is something that struck me since like reading Aristotle, like on a, a semesterly basis, like every six months I read the Nicomachean Ethics, I read some Aristotle. Uh, one thing that strikes me is that, you know, a lot of my goals tend to be uh, things that I just absorb from other people around me, right? I, I kind of look around and I think, gosh, like, you know, everybody's really into decluttering now. Maybe I should be a minimalist or, or everybody's like getting fit. Gosh, I should go to the gym, you know? And, you know, to, to some extent, that's fine. A lot of times those goals are, are obviously good for us. And if we can stick to them, that's great. Uh, on the other hand, you know, one of the reasons I find in my life that, that I often don't stick to my resolutions or, or, you know, after a month or so, I find myself just uninterested in, in you know, the goal I had set uh, uh, at the beginning of January is it turns out I don't actually value that or, you know, I'm not valuing it in the right sort of way. Now that, as Megan mentioned, uh, you know, a bit ago, that's that's a philosophical question like what good things i should be valuing and how i should be valuing that's a, that's a philosophical question and one that uh you know we can make more tractable by thinking hard by like reading good philosophical arguments and making our own arguments as a, a quick example here you know last year i noticed uh about myself i noticed look i'm spending a lot of time on these activities i'm spending a lot of time uh, you know, either working out or I'm spending a lot of time uh, like at work at the expense of, of time that I'm spending at home with my family. Like, how should I be how should I be thinking more intentionally about that? I noticed, you know, doing that, like like living in that state, it led to a kind of dissonance. Right. I was unhappy. And so I went back to Aristotle and I thought really hard about, you know, what are the relationships that I value in my life and, and how should that actually manifest like how does that commitment you know what does that look like in the world and you know discovered okay it, it's going to require a little bit of reconfiguring i think you know, i'm probably not alone in this i think a lot of people you're finding themselves at home and and kind of like on zoom and at home but also at work i think a lot of us are kind of thinking really intentionally about that right now you know um structuring our time and and, and where we devote our, our our attention um so that's just one example of you know how thinking about philosophy is actually 
deeply practical, I think, when, when it comes to goal setting and, and following through on things like New Year's resolutions. Awesome. I would agree. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with philosophers and authors, Megan Sullivan and Paul Blaschko, about their book, The Good Life Method. We're going to come right back and we're, we're going to answer all the big questions about faith, happiness, and meaning in, in the next uh, part of our show. Thanks so much for listening to Catholic Review Radio. child enters the world with limitless potential. Potential of mind. Potential of body. Potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach. Catholic Schools Rise Above. Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty, and we're talking with philosophers and authors Megan Sullivan and Paul Blaschko about living a good life. One question I think I would have is, do you need to rely on others for happiness? We would answer that question in the affirmative. Well, it, I mean, it depends what you mean by rely, but are other people going to be involved in your pursuit of eudaimonia, of happiness and flourishing in the philosophical sense? The answer almost every philosopher has come to over the last 2,000 years is yes, we're social animals. And one of the things that's really important about our intellectual lives and just our embodied lives is how our pursuit of happiness ends up getting tangled up with other people's pretty quickly. The, the way Aristotle puts it in the Nicomachean Ethics is that we perceive that we live. So we think about our lives. We, we tell ourselves the stories about how we're growing. We worry about areas where we're not doing well. But we also perceive these kinds of challenges and journeys in other people. You don't just think about how well you're doing. You worry about how well your brother is doing or your spouse or your partner. You get tangled up in your friends' stories about whether their lives are getting meaningful. And Aristotle says this is one of the absolutely wonderful things about being a human. Cattle, he says, eat grass next to each other. They feed together in the same place. And that's what social life is like when you're a cow. You just kind of show up and <laughs> chew next to others. But for people, we get inside of each other's minds and heads and lives. And, uh, and that is one of the ways in which our thinking, loving lives flourishes. So we do, we definitely depend on that kind of connection with others in order to be fulfilling our function as humans. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some aspects of happiness that might be just completely internal. You might you might not be able to share with others, or I think for a lot of folks, their spiritual lives might end up like this. Like they have mm -hmm. um, some distinctive, ineffable aspect of their good lives that's related to God, but it's, you know, it's pretty hard to let other people in on that. Uh, and that's one of the things that we have to wrestle with. A lot of us these days seem to be burned out. You know, we're tired of COVID, we're tired of, of that, but also just in general, life over the last 20 years has been getting a little bit more stressful. Jobs, families, all of that kind of is moving at a faster pace. 
What do philosophers and philosophy tell us about burnout? Paul, can you help us with that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I've been thinking about a ton. Yeah, I find my students actually give me some of the best advice uh, after reading some Aristotle, after reading uh, some, some ancient philosophy uh, on the topic of burnout. You know, one thing that is really important to think about from like a virtue ethics perspective is making sure that the good things that we're pursuing uh, are the right kind of good things, right? So Aristotle makes distinctions uh, between uh, instrumental goods and things with final or ultimate value, right? Uh, so instrumental things are, are things that we value, right? They're valuable, they're good, uh, but they're good because they get us something else. Money is the classic example here, right? You don't want money because like, I don't know, it feels good or smells good. You want, you want it because you can buy other good things with it. On the other hand, uh, there are things with ultimate value uh, or final value, things like, you know, uh, flourishing together with your family, uh, uh, being with your friends, having a great conversation, or even some leisurely activities, right? Just like listening to, to beautiful music or taking a hike in nature. I think, you know, in my own life, uh, one of, one of the, the key ways in which I find that I'm, I'm just kind of like misaligned on a day-to-day -day basis is that I'm often thinking about instrumental goods as if they were ultimate goods or as if they were final goods and often at the expense of those ultimate goods, right? So I think like, gosh, if I can just like send out 20 more emails, sorry, my, my life is incredibly boring. Like this is my like goal, you know, like I need to like send out these more emails, right? You know, if, if I could just like uh, get a promotion at work or if I could just, you know, I don't know, like lose 10 pounds, whatever it might be. Uh, okay. Then I'm going to be happy, right? And so not only am I valuing something that, that is at least in part, you know, just instrumentally valuable, but I'm also kind of deferring uh, my happiness like into the future. Now, if you do that enough and you find that, you know, your life is, is full of all of these instrumental goals, which again, I want to emphasize are really good things. Like they're genuinely good things. But if you find that, you know, your life lacks these ultimate or final, these sources of ultimate or final value, it can be really disorienting and you can find yourself just really stressed out. And, and in my own case, I just find that, you know, there are kind of resting points where I can like step back and engage in, in what Aristotle might call contemplation or uh, leisure. Uh, and I find, you know, that is the most refreshing and necessary kind of activity, right? Uh, just taking a, a quick walk even uh, or taking a hike, enjoying a beautiful song. So I think, you know, one thing philosophers can help us see is that, you know, the way that we're structuring our lives, the kind of goals that we're building in and, and really like how we're pursuing those, how we're trying to balance those in the course of say our work uh, or even, you know, hobbies or our passions, whatever it might be, um, that's going to make a huge difference, uh, but to how we experience life and, and, you know, whether we're letting ourselves be happy in the moment, but also, you know, whether we're just focused on the right sort of things uh, overall, whether we're flourishing, uh, as Aristotle would put it. In the book, you talk about uh, the five main ways to live a good life. Desire the truth, live generously, take responsibility, work with integrity and love attentively. Megan, why are those uh, key to, to our good way of living? So one debate that philosophers have also been having ever since Plato and Aristotle, Aquinas was part of this debate as well, is how many virtues are there and uh -huh. how closely linked are they? So the Greeks would have these knockdown, drag out fights about whether you could be generous without also being courageous. Like, can you really be a great giver if you're not also sometimes like quite brave? Um, or whether or not somebody could be a just person or a good friend, but also a coward. In the book, you know, those look like really theoretical, very literary kind of debates, but these are actually puzzles that we all face on a day-to-day -day basis in trying to lead good lives. You think, 
you're very loyal to your friend, but they tell you uh, they're cheating on their spouse. And so you've got to decide whether to, to be honest with their spouse, whom you also know, or whether to honor that confidence. That's a question about like virtues coming into tension. We oftentimes come up with the with these virtues uh, running up against each other in our work-life balance, as Paul just mentioned. You can decide to be somebody who wants to be thoughtful and contemplative, but you can also need to make quick decisions because other people are depending on you to finish a job or to make a really difficult decision about whether we're reopening in COVID. And those are areas where like parts of the good life come into conflict. We pick those five in the book because first, they're, one, they're topics where we think philosophers can give a lot of good 2022 advice. So you might think that there's not much you can do to work on your love life this year, or you might think you know everything about work-life balance already. But we think there are some philosophers like Iris Murdoch and Aristotle and Karl Marx and Thomas Aquinas, who you should take another look at because we're all facing these kinds of challenges with these virtues right now. And going a little bit deeper might reduce some of that uh, difficulty. But another thing we hope to argue in the course of the book is Picking a couple virtues like responsibility and justice and love and concern for the truth and showing how they're appearing in your day-to-day life and then caring about joining up those virtues and joining up the circles is going to push you towards a much more serious interest in ultimate goods and spiritual virtues and get you interested in questions about how uh, some of these very human day-to-day difficulties push us to think about in a, in a much more eternal perspective the kind of people that we want to be. And so we pick those because they tend to point in this direction that we find, you know, really helps people set much more serious goals. But there are plenty of virtues to debate about. And I think we probably could easily have written a sequel to this book that had like seven other virtues. Maybe that'll be God in the good life too. You know, and, and we've got just a little bit of time left and I and I hate to leave this whole faith aspect until the end, but in that section about God in the good life, uh, your themes are quite a little, little bit different. Wonder about God, take a leap of faith, struggle with suffering, contemplate your purpose and prepare for death. Why are they different when you bring the faith element in? So one of the things that we want people to reflect on uh, in the chapter uh, about faith, uh, about taking leaps of faith, and and here we're drawing on the work of of William James, is uh, we've got to make choices. We've got to make commitments and really big commitments all the time, right? Uh, Deciding whether to enter into a lifelong relationship with somebody or even, you know, to take a job that you're going to be working at for the next 10, 20 years. Uh, These are huge decisions, and oftentimes the evidence, uh, it's not going to be sufficient to make you totally sure, totally certain, right? So one of the things that we want people to reflect on is, you know, how there are similarities, there are analogies between that kind of faith, the faith that we deploy on a day-to-day basis, and the kind of religious faith that William James was really interested in exploring, uh, and that later in the book, you know, we talk about uh, St. Anselm and, and, and St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas sort of leading us through uh, a discussion of. One of my favorite parts in that section of the book is actually a story that we tell about Stephen Colbert. Um, so I'm not sure if, you know, uh, you or your listeners have, have seen this, this really touching interview that Colbert has given, uh, or he's kind of told this story in a couple interviews, but he tells it in this interview with Anderson Cooper, uh, about you know his backstory and about how you know when he was younger his uh, father and and a couple of his brothers died really tragically in a plane crash and he connects this up 
with like very directly with his Catholic faith. And the way that he puts it is he says, even in light of this fact, or even in response to this fact, right, in response to this sort of deep suffering, this tragedy, he found himself so grateful and he found that that gratitude required an object, you know, he puts it sort of very, you know, almost Thomistically, right? It's almost it almost starts sounding like an argument for God's existence. I'm grateful this gratitude has got to have an object, right? And the object, you know, he thinks is very specific. He thinks uh, it is this all-powerful, all-loving uh, God. So, you know, as we as we kind of march through the book and as we as we walk uh, from these really practical day-to-day questions like how should you spend your money, how much time should you spend with your friends and your family, and and you know how do you balance those kinds of things. Uh, and get into these sort of bigger picture, more existential questions about faith and about commitment and then about God and contemplation. We're hoping that, that you know, readers will draw some connections in their own, you know, philosophical apology and their own life story uh, and see how, how these uh, topics and, and some of the positions that these philosophers are giving are really, you know, quite deep and uh, deeply interrelated. Where can people get the book? Uh, the book is called The Good Life Method. It is coming from Penguin Press. Where is it available? So you can order the book on the Penguin website, on Amazon. They have them at the local Barnes & Nobles. I was in a Barnes & Noble outside Chicago. And we were on the main new nonfiction shelf uh, just a couple days ago. If you Google the book and you go to the Penguin website, you can see links, IndieBound, all the different sites where you can order it. Uh, there's also an audiobook version and a Kindle version. One of the cool things about the audiobook version is you can uh, listen to the philosophical arguments and stories, and then there are some questions that you could use as conversation starters with other folks who are in the car or who are uh, listening along with you. Sounds like fun. Well, we have been talking today with Megan Sullivan and Paul Blaschko, and now you know how to approach the year to live a good life by talking with them about their book. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is Chris Gutti of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.